stuck with my mask on this and uh, anyway, we're good. Can I get Matt and Steve Gibbons in the room as well? Steve here or is he downstairs? Oh, he's not here. He must be downstairs. Matt, do you just want to um, jump up? Matt and Steve have uh, done a tremendous job of getting church services organised uh, for this Christmas. Uh, we are down staff members. As you know, Kate's in hospital, she's out, but uh, enormous amount of uh, work these guys have done um, and lots of volunteers who were going to be involved have dropped out because they've come into contact with people with COVID. So I just thought this would be a moment to honour these guys and the work they've done. So can we do that now? And uh, do you want to just grab your mic? And uh, one thing we're a little bit worried about is just um, how vulnerable our team that runs the service is if we come in contact with COVID. We're a little bit worried in January whether we're actually going to be able to run services. Do you just want to give yeah. us a quick update on that? Yeah, totally. So, you know, our experience yesterday was that by like 9, 10, 11 o'clock, we were just getting emails and phone calls of people saying, my flatmate's been a close contact, uh, I can't can't serve or, uh, you know, things like along those lines. And yeah. so, you know, the AV guys have really just pulled together. Some guys have done, you know, they've been here. They were here at midnight last night, rocking up again at like eight o'clock this morning to make today happen. So I think we should honour them yeah. as well, actually. Um, but, you know, last night we kind of put a t contingency plan together, just thinking through January because we realised, well, at the moment, you know, the, the scientists imagine that we're experiencing about 10% of what we'll experience even by mid-January, you know. Um, and so we were thinking the last thing we ever want to do is cancel church. Um, and so we've got four, four or five options in place, um, all, the, all the way from everything from, um, you know, running all our services exactly like we are with like a minimum of four team members. We can achieve that. Uh, but then if we get down to like three team members, then we might just do the live stream only or might just do in church without the live stream. If we get There's below... a bunch of, bunch of contingencies. Bunch of contingencies, yeah. right down to us running Zoom from our bedrooms and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and doing it over YouTube, you know. Yeah. So we could get to that stage uh, right before we cancel church, yeah. but um, we'll the see The other challenge is you're having a baby first week yeah. of January, yeah. right? So lots well, who knows when he'll, when, when he'll come. But True. Yeah. So lots going on. We'd appreciate your prayer yeah. and just warning you, we might have to make a spare-of-the-moment decision sometime in January. I'm off. I don't care what happens. I've told him. Matt's in charge. He's only been here three weeks, but he's in charge. So anyway, this is great. Hey, um, today uh, I want to talk about how to sing in the dark. A couple of years ago, I was at dinner with my kids talking with... Uh, my daughter Evie, who was then eight, and my son Archer, who was then five, a couple of years ago. And, um, and we're talking about how some people want to get rich in life and some people want to be really good looking. And, and we're talking about that. And Archer says, I want to be good looking. And Evie is like, Evie and I are like, we all want to do that, but we never say it. <laughs> right? And so we ask, why, why do you want to be good looking? And he goes, so that I can see Santa flying through the sky. They're like, oh, good looking. And, uh, and I think it worked. His wish came true. Last night, he was looking out the window. He said, I saw Santa. I totally saw Santa. So there we go. But a couple of, uh, still a couple of years ago, I was, I was singing at home, and um, Archer turns to me, and he says, Dad, 
you're really bad at singing. You know, I have things, Arch. I said, it doesn't matter if you're bad. You can, you know, you can still have fun. And he goes, yeah, yeah, um, doesn't matter that you can't sing. You can dance. Anyway, so that was nice. But today I want to talk to you about how to sing. More specifically, how do you sing in the dark when things aren't going well in your life and when it feels as though God has changed the script of your life? change the script, the script that you've written for your life, and the script changes. In many ways, that's what we've been dealing with the last two years. It feels like a global rewriting of the script of our life. None of us, if we were writing the story of our lives, would have put 2021 and 2020 in the story. Uh, So many of us, we've got our lives mapped out, we want God to bless our plans, but when he rewrites the script... Don't know about you, but I get a little bit frustrated and bitter. I get frustrated. It's easy to get bitter. So how do you sing when God changes the script in your life? How do you sing when you're in the dark? Now, Mary has got a script for her life. The angel shows up to her and says to her, you're going to give birth to the Son of God. And the script that she's written for her life changes. No doubt her script for her life would have been, I'm going to marry Joseph. It's going to be a great wedding. We're going to consummate our marriage. We're going to have babies. I'll live a quiet life. I'll work really hard. I'll be a good person. And everyone will say, there's Mary. There's Joseph. What a nice family. And the angel shows up and says, well, actually, God's got a different plan for your life. You are going to uh, give birth to a baby who's going to be the son of God, even though you're a virgin. Her plan for her life in that moment was taken away from her. Joseph would likely divorce her because of this. And that's what we read in the story. She's pregnant. He hasn't had sex. See you later. And more than that, it would mean that she'd be ostracized from her very little religious community and made an example of for all the other teenage girls. She knows the scorn she's about to receive. For the rest of her life, she'll be called a whore. That's what happens. And as Jesus grows up, they repeatedly mock him because they say, we don't know who your dad was. Your mum is loose and she slept around. So she's going to lose her comfort, her security, her reputation, even her marriage, which she's got planned, and her name, it literally means, Mary, it means bitter myrrh. Her life is going to be a life of bitterness from this point forward. And yet, when God changes the script of her life, what does she do? Well, verse 46 to 47, she sings, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. So here's the question, how do you sing in the bitterness of life? How do you sing in the dark? How do you sing when God, as it is, changes the script of your life? And Mary's going to give us an answer to that. And she's going to tell us two things, that we need to rejoice in God and we need to put our hope in God as well. So first of all, we need to rejoice in God. Have a look down, because in verse 46 to 50 in your Bibles, Mary's reflecting on what it means to give birth to the Messiah. She sings praises to God for what he has done for her personally. And this is what she sings. She sings, my soul, it glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he has been mindful 
of the humble estate of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. So here she's reflecting on what God has done for her personally. And notice she, she says that he's been mindful of my humble estate. And humble refers to her age, her background, her economic and her social standing. Now it's interesting because when we think of our humble estate, it's not the cause for praise, it's the cause for protest. We look at our difficult circumstances, the humble state God has placed us in in life, and we think we can't possibly sing for joy in the midst of that. But look at Mary. She doesn't ignore her bitter circumstances, her humble estate, but she takes a bigger perspective on life than we usually do. Yes, I'm poor. Yes, I'm 14. Yes, I'm pregnant outside of marriage. Yes, the future is going to be hard and this is going to be difficult, but, and this is what she rejoices in, God has been mindful. He's been thinking about me. Now, don't we say the opposite? When the script gets changed, God, you haven't been mindful of me. You've forgotten me. You haven't been thinking of me in mind. You haven't had me in your mind. And so something happens at work, in your relationships, in your private life, and we call out to God, God, where are you? Why aren't you thinking of me? You haven't been mindful of me. But Mary, get this, she's not focused on the circumstances of her life. Something makes it possible for her to transcend her circumstances. She can rejoice, she, she's not rejoicing in her circumstances. There's very little to rejoice in the circumstances of her life, but she rejoices in God, her Savior, and that's what makes her sing. So look at it, verse 46, my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So here's what she's thinking about. I'm a sinner, I'm not perfect, I haven't always loved God the way I ought, and yet God has come in grace to me and washed me of my sin. He saved me from my sin. And that's what she's rejoicing and that's what she's taking joy in. Or verse 48, she says, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Now blessed is a weird word, we rarely use it, but it's a word that is quite deep. To be blessed means that the Lord shines His face upon you. It means that you become everything that God wants you to be. It means to be strengthened and repaired. It means to be known and loved and seen and remembered and destined for glory. And she's saying, no one else may think my situation's that glorious, but God has destined me for glory. He knows me and I'm finding joy in that. And then verse 50 his mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. Why would she need mercy? Because she's a sinner like the rest of us, and her only hope is God's mercy. And these are the things that she rejoices in. Now, God doesn't trivialize our pain, but He is saying that if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a reason to sing, because like Mary, God is your Savior. And He's mindful of you. I wonder if you have that kind of awareness and that kind of wonder. Are you astounded that God has chosen you or do you think 
He got lucky because he chose you. You see, Mary's astounded by grace, God's undeserved kindness. She knows that she's got nothing to recommend herself to God. And she's sitting there and she's like, God, you didn't choose me because of my education. You didn't choose me because of my background, my parents, my social standing. I'm just a poor girl from a poor town. You chose me to give birth to the Savior. You could have chose any of the wealthy girls from Jerusalem. And you chose me. And Mary can't get over God's grace and mercy to her. And that's what makes us sing. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're God's choice. God has chosen you. You've been made his child. You've been given a savior. He's shown you mercy. He's blessed you. He's mindful of you. Is that enough to get you singing even in the dark, even when life takes a turn, even when the script for your life gets rewritten? Today, all of us need to repent, don't we? Because this year's been hard and we've done a lot of complaining and the song has stopped being sung and today we need our hearts to sit with Jesus and appreciate all that he has done for us. See, a real Christian is a person who says it's an absolute miracle that God loves me. You know, that he pulled me out of the dirt of sin and made me his own. A counterfeit Christian is someone who says, of course I'm a Christian. I go to church, I read the Bible, I pray and I give to the poor. Of course I'm a Christian. It's not a miracle. They don't realize that they are a sinner saved by grace. It's not a miracle for them. That's not a Christian. A Christian who goes through life daily going, it's a miracle that I I became a Christian. I talked to Bev. That's her story. She said, you know, it's a miracle that she's a Christian. She knows that. So she has a wonder in life. And I wonder if you've been a Christian longer than Bev, the wonder disappears. And Christmas, no, it should be wonder. If you're a real Christian, there's a spirit of wonder that permeates your life. You say, me, a Christian, God saved me. Um, and there's a spirit of wonder that, that even when things aren't going well, when the script changes, when things go badly, when problems happen, that's when you can tell the difference between a Christian who knows the love of God and someone who doesn't really know the love of God. You know, when you don't really know the love of God, when bad things happen, you say, well, what good is Christianity? What, what good is coming to God? I'm trying hard to obey Him. What good is that? I've tried really hard, and now looks what, look what's going on in my life. It's all going wrong, and you get bitter. But a Christian is someone who knows the love of God and that sweetness from the love of God makes difficulty endurable and you keep a spirit of wonder. Yeah, my career hasn't gone so well this year. Yeah, my love life isn't going so well, but it's astonishing. He rescued me. He chose me. He adopted me. He loved me and he's destined me for glory. You're able to sing. And even in the midst of the darkness, you're able to say, you know what? God must have a purpose in this because he loves me. And I know he doesn't owe me a good life. In fact, he owes me far worse a life than I have. And you're able to handle it. Mary rejoices, not because she's been given a husband, health, position, power, and easy life. Actually, all of that's in jeopardy right now. But she's been given God himself. And so he rejoices. She rejoices in God. 
That's her secret. I like what Matthew Henry said, there is enough in God to furnish us with joy in the worst circumstances of life. Do you believe that? Mary did, and it was incredible. Okay, the second secret to being able to sing in the dark is you put your hope in God. Now, hope, the word hope is used differently in the Bible to the way we use the word hope. When we talk about hope, we talk about something that we long for, but which something which we're uncertain about. So tomorrow, I'm hoping to go camping. I'm really hoping, I'm longing for this, but to be honest, I know that in 2021, your plans can change within a day. I'm hoping none of you give me the COVID or our close contacts, to be honest. See, I'm hoping to go camping tomorrow, but I'm not too sure. And that's how we use the word hope. I'm looking forward to it, can't wait for it, but I'm not too sure that it's going to happen. So there are two dimensions to the way Australians use hope. And that is that it's longing plus uncertainty. But when the Bible talks about hope, it speaks about something very different. Uh, In the Bible's uh, view of hope, hope involves longing, but it doesn't involve uncertainty. It involves certainty and confidence. Hope in the Bible can be translated as confident expectation, looking forward to something that you know is a certainty. And Mary, she begins her song rejoicing in what the Lord has done for her. And then in the middle of the song at verse 51, she starts longing, confident about what God will do in the future for her. So have a look at verse 51 and onwards. This is what she says. She says, God, He has performed mighty deeds with His arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Now, I want you to reflect on that for a moment, because you'll notice a change both in focus from the earlier verses to these verses. Earlier, she's talking about herself, and now she's talking about God's grace to the world, but you'll also notice a change of tense. When Mary's talking about God's kindness to her, she's speaking in the present tense, but now when she's talking about the word, she's using the past tense. So he has performed mighty deeds, he has scattered, he has brought down, and he has filled. And that's odd, because didn't I just say that Jesus is talking about her hope? her confident expectation for what would God would do in the future. And this is weird, right? Because when she says has, she's actually talking about what the child within her will one day do. But at this point, Jesus is still a baby. He hasn't had the chance to do all of these things yet. So how can she speak in the past tense what Jesus will do in the future? Well, Mary is using what grammarians call the prophetic aorist tense. Now, if you don't have any idea about grammar, nor did I. Uh, I hate grammar. They didn't teach me grammar at school, so I'm just quoting some smart dude that I read in a book here, to be honest. But the prophetic aorist is when you put something in the past tense to 
communicate the certainty of that happening in the future. So if your boss comes to you and asks you to do something, you say, it's done. What do you mean when you say it's done? You mean it's as good as done, it's going to get done, but you don't put it in the future tense because that would communicate uncertainty. You put it in the past tense. And what, G, what Mary is saying, she is so utterly convinced that what her son will do in the future is she, she says it's as though it's already happened in the past. And that's certain hope. Mary is singing about the reversal that God will bring in the world that she lives in. So notice what she sings about. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. The mighty are brought down. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. And we've seen this across the centuries. Where are men like Saddam Hussein, Adolf Hitler, Idi Amin, Pol Pot, and Osama bin Laden? God brought them down. They come, they rise. But sooner or later, they disappear because God brings them down. That's the pattern of history. The ups and downs of history are really the hand of God at work. The mighty think they're secure. The poor despise their fate. But God delights to reverse their fortunes. And among the rulers brought down are the murderous King Herod in Jesus' day. And among the humble who are lifted up are the shepherds the ancient equivalent of nightclub bodyguards today, and the wise men who were foreigners, not included in the people of Israel. To a world wearied by abuses of power and exploitation of the weak, Christmas speaks to us of a God who will tear down the strongholds of the powerful. God brings them down and he lifts up the humble. And by humble... Mary isn't just referring to, the, to modest people, but to those who are at the bottom, who have no power, no strength, no hope. And maybe God has been humbling you this year so that you feel hopeless and helpless. Has He brought you down? Well, His purpose in doing so is to bring you to the place where He can lift you up. If you're up, He can't lift you. And in case we didn't get the Mary, Mary says again, using a different metaphor, he says, verse 53, he's filled the hungry with good things, but he sent the rich away empty. In other words, if you come to God self-satisfied, he's got nothing to offer you. But if you go to Jesus hungry and thirsty, he can fill you. If you come to Jesus if you're hungry for the truth, hungry for meaning, hungry for hope, hungry for God, God will fill you with good things. But if you come to Christmas and say, I can't see anything good here, you'll walk away empty. The power of God comes to each of us and it'll either scatter you, pull you down, send you away empty, which means our lives are without hope, or he will show you mercy, lift you up and fill you. The question is, well, which one do you want? All over the world, people are coming to God like Mary, helpless, hopeless, and God is lifting them up. And my fear is that our city is just too proud, too self-reliant. The biggest problem in our city is not lust, it's not greed, it's pride. People's lives are so good, they're in control of them that they don't need God. 
But when Jesus meets a woman who's ruined her life through sexual experiences, she comes to him empty and Jesus lifts her up. When Jesus meets Zacchaeus, a tax collector who got rich extorting his neighbours and he realises his sin and his need for grace, Jesus lifts him up. But when Jesus meets a rich, young ruler, like the typical Sydney-sider bloke, proud and self-reliant, that man walks away sad and empty because he won't humble himself. Jesus divides the world, not into the good and the bad. That's not who we are. We're not the good and they're bad out there. No, no, Jesus divides the world into the humble and the proud. Every other religion divides the world into the good and the bad, and if you're good, you're in, if you're bad, you're out. But Christianity says, no, 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 it's the humble who are in. The people who recognize their need, they're on the in. It's the proud, the self-reliant, they're on the out. Are you willing to say, Lord Jesus, I'm not worthy, you don't owe me a good life, you owe me nothing but your anger, but because I'm a sinner. But the minute that happens, he runs to you. His heart goes out to you. But if you say, you know what, God, you owe me a good life. You owe me this. The minute that happens, Jesus says, I've got nothing for you. That's Christianity. That's Christmas. That's Mary's story. She's on the bottom and God lifts her up and she rejoices in that and she puts her hope in the fact that the Savior of the world will one day restore her life and change the circumstances of her life. So look at her. She has something to sing about because she puts her hope in the Savior of, her, of the world. Her circumstances may be difficult, but she's confident that one day she will be lifted up. One day, if you trust in Jesus, all this brokenness, all this hardship, all this difficulty will be rolled up. Jesus will return and he'll reward you. And, uh, and on that day, you will eat and you will drink and you will dance and you will feast in the presence of God forever. He's coming. It's going to happen. The King of heaven will return and you'll right every wrong and he knows your name. Do you know his? Have you called upon him? He's going to come and bring peace and you ought to be ready for that day. If you are well, then you're able to sing in the dark. Hope profoundly changes your life. I like what Samuel Rutherford said. He said, One little inch of, our little inch of time suffering here is not worthy of the first night welcome home to heaven. When once Christ shall thrust your weary traveler's head on his breast, you will find just the first one of his kisses will pay for 500 years of sore hearts. Oh, my friends, don't sell all of this for anything the world has to offer. I want to tell two stories to finish off. And the first story is uh, this story of the uh, a World War I story, the, the Lost Battalion. 600 American soldiers lost in the forest, stuck in a ravine, surrounded by German forces, constantly under fire and shelling, and with no way out. And uh, they were hungry, they were starving. No one knew where they were. They had absolutely no hope. And several times they sent people out to get out and get help and they'd all get slaughtered on the way out. And finally, three men volunteered, it was in the dark, to go and try and find help. 
and two of them get out and they just can't find a way through. They return to camp and they think that the third dude is dead. They come back without hope to the battalion. The third guy does get out and he makes it to the American lines and he tells them what's going on and a relief effort is organised and he decides to go back and tell his men what had happened. And he creeps back under the cover of night through the enemy lines back into, into the ravine to tell these men without hope that there was hope. And he tells them the most wonderful news, help is on the way. Now, can you imagine being there? Nothing has changed. They're still surrounded. They're still being shelled. People are still getting killed. They're still without ammunition. They're still without food. They're still being in danger of being wiped out. But in their hearts, they know that help is on its way. And so everything changed. Why? Because they had hope. Their circumstances didn't change. But they knew that the reversal was coming. And so even in the midst of that darkness, they were able to sing in the middle of the dark. That's, a, that's what Christians are able to do. I wonder if you, um, you saw uh, that singer Nightbird give a performance on America's Got Talent this year. Um, I've got a little video, and I'm going to finish with this. But here she is. She went on um, America's Got Talent singing a song that she had written called It's Okay. I, I wrote a hundred pages, but I burned them all. Yeah, I burned them all. I blow through yellow lights and don't look back at all. I don't look back at all. I assume we all saw this video when it came out. Maybe, no? <laughs> Go to YouTube at the end of church and watch the whole video. But uh, her story is that um, she's written this song, It's Okay. And they're like, is everything okay? And it turns out that she, as she's performing this, she's got cancer in her liver, her spine, her lungs, and a 2% chance of survival. And yet in the midst of that, she's singing, it's okay. And I watched it, I'm like, oh, is she just like stoic? Is that what's going on for her? That she's able to say it's okay in the midst of cancer? And I tracked down her story and I realized, you know, how is it that she's got the ability to have hope despite her circumstances? How is she able to say that it's okay when it's clearly not? And this is what I heard her say in an interview. She said, I believe that God can heal in one instant. I also believe that no good thing does he withhold from those he loves. That there was something God was growing in the field that is in me. And if God had pulled up all of this hardship too soon, it would have also pulled up these miracles that he was doing in my spirit. Her stage name is Nightbird because nightbirds sing in the dark. 
This is what she says, I want to be that way, even when I'm in the middle of a dark time and there are no signs that it will end, I want to be the bird that sings in anticipation of the good things that I trust are, hap- are coming. Finally, this is what she says, when it comes to pain, God isn't often in the business of taking it away. Instead, He adds to it. He is more of a giver than a taker. He doesn't take away my darkness, He adds light. He doesn't spare me of thirst, He brings water. He doesn't cure my loneliness, He comes near. So why do we believe that when we are in pain, it must mean that God is far? There is a remarkable Christian woman who has learnt from Mary, learnt from the Scriptures, to rejoice in God, not her circumstances, and to put her hope in what God will one day do in healing our whole world. That's what Christmas is about. That's why we sing. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for both the witness of Bev who shared the way you've been at work in her life, for this remarkable woman, Nightbird, for the story of Mary, all of whom testify to the life-changing power of hope in our lives, the certainty that one day you will reverse the fortunes of the poor and lift up the humble. We are humble. We recognize our need for you, Lord Jesus, today. We need cleansing and forgiveness We need encouragement and love. We need strength and the power to endure. We need the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to love those whom we find difficult to love. And so we come humble, broken, meek, asking that you might lift us up. And Father, we know that even in this life, we won't have all of our prayers answered, but in the next world, which is soon to be here, all our prayers will be answered. And so we ask today that we'd rejoice, not in our circumstances, but in you, Lord Jesus. And not in the good things that we can accomplish, but in the hope of glory soon to be revealed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.